Remember Murphy's Law? You, you know, if anything can go wrong, it will. Well, I was reading some of the corollaries to Murphy this week, and here's a couple. If nothing can go wrong, it will anyway. <laughs> the other line always moves faster. And here's the clincher. Church furnaces and air conditioning rest on Sundays. There was a joke going around some time back that attempted to illustrate a Murphy principle. A man is crawling across the de desert in a desperate search for water, and suddenly a necktie salesman appears in front of him, wanting to know if he wants to buy a tie. Well, of course, the man is only desperate for water, and he lets the salesman know that, at which point the salesman just sort of disappears and leaves the man there to continue his search for water. And then, Lo and behold, a beautiful restaurant appears on the horizon right out there in the middle of nowhere. And crawling up to it, the man realizes that it's not a mirage. And reaching the door, he calls for the maitre d', please, I need a glass of water. To which the maitre d' replies, sir, gentlemen are not served without a necktie. <laughs> okay, I've had days like that. And you probably have too, and it's just for such days that our epistle lesson this morning from the words of Paul to the Corinthians can really be restoring. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. Despite everything that may assure us that this life will always turn out like a Murphy's Law corollary, our passage is saying, no, there is something coming, something beyond our imaginations to comprehend, something so amazing that it will stifle Murphy once and for all, something that our God holds for you and me. And so what is it that Paul is writing about? Well, he's quoting here from the vision of the prophet Isaiah where God declares that there is coming a new heaven and a new earth where no one will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And this thing that is coming is heaven. Now, on this annual meeting Sunday, why on earth am I bringing up heaven? I'll get to that. But first, let's take a few moments to look forward at what Paul and Isaiah are telling us about heaven. Because the very first thing they want us to know is that we cannot even imagine it. Everything that we say about it or compare it to is actually less than it is. All the wondrous thing of this, things of this world are only metaphors and hints as to what is to come. And the reason that we have difficulty imagining what heaven is like is that our minds are seldom capable to, of creating something completely new and different from what we've already experienced. We find ourselves compelled to appropriate the most beautiful of this world that we already inhabit. Now, that reliance on metaphor is, and likeness is not altogether a bad thing. I mean, consider a drive in the mountains, or a stop by the ocean, or gazing upon a dew-covered flower as it lifts its colorful face toward the sun. How much more majestic could heaven be? Dion and I once saw a little church in Ireland, 
It has beautiful stained glass windows. The, the richness of the reds and the blues is breathtaking. But it has one particular window that has been left in clear glass. It is perhaps the most beautiful window of them all. It frames an outdoor panorama that includes a clear azure blue lake and emerald green rolling hills. Under the window is this verse from the psalmist. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. It reminds me of the writings of Dorothy Gardner in her book, Eastward in Eden. She writes, Sometimes when I'm working in my garden, when the day is hot and still, I am transported to another world. The hum of bees seems like singing wires from eternity. It is as though a message were trying to come through, and I know what it means, but I do not hear words. I like to think my garden is Eden, but I know it is only evidence of Eden. And that's the truth of it. The wonders of this creation are only evidences of heaven. The beauty and the glory of this world are but a foretaste of the wondrous things that await us. The love of our family and friends is but a hint of the love that God has for us. The most beautiful music of this world will not hold a note to the heavenly choir. Everything we count in this world as wondrous is at best a lesser reflection. And if you marvel at the wonder of this world, just wait until you behold the world to come. That is the first thing that Paul and Isaiah are telling us this morning. All the wonders of this world are only metaphors and hints for what is coming. We cannot even imagine it. But we should not stop trying. And that leads us to their other point. Looking ahead, they tell us, changes the wrongs of the here and now. Oh yeah, I know, it hasn't always been the case that looking ahead to heaven has brought out the best in God's people here and now. Dictators, autocrats, and other oppressors have all used the visions of what is to come as a way to make the folks they are grinding down just look to the future and be content for now. That is what led Karl Marx to famously label all religion as the opiate of the people. Now, because of this history, being heavenly-minded has a bad rap these days. It reminds me of something that Miss Sadie used to say. Miss Sadie was the chief cook in the kitchens of the Princeton Seminary Student Union. I was the chief crew, uh, the crew chief for the student dish crew. And as you might imagine, given that nearly a thousand students and faculty were fed there every day, a lot of meals went out and a lot of dirty dishes came back in. My job as the dish crew chief was to keep the crew efficiently moving everything in coordination toward the successful state of cleanliness. And it wasn't bad, really. Once you got into the rhythm, just enough concentration was required on the work that we were forced to stop thinking of all of the academic demands on us. It was freeing, mentally, 
We were free enough, in fact, to get into a bit of a relaxing, meditative mode. The problems would occur when one of the crew would get just a little bit too meditative, and then the rhythm would be broken by crashing pots and pans and falling institutional crockery shattering on the floor. And at just that instant, like a magnet, Miss Sadie would appear from around some corner, hands on hips, head moving side to side in a manner I have yet to figure out how to do, and with a complete look of disdain on her face, she would begin her well-worn words, You boys! That's how she would start. You boys are so heavenly-minded, you are no earthly good. <laughs> now, she may well have had a point. <laughs> But you see, that is the bad rap that looking forward has in our day. The assumption is that if we let ourselves think about what awaits us about heaven, we'll become complacent about the things that need our attention here and now. But that's not what Paul and Isaiah are telling us this morning. In our epistle, Paul throws in this passage referencing Isaiah's vision as to what is to come as a way to prepare the Corinthians for his call to change their lives and live as better people in themselves toward each other and for the world. Looking forward is how they are to see how they are to be here and now and what they therefore need to change here and now. Isaiah is doing the same thing. That inspiring vision of God's peaceable kingdom where nothing will hurt or destroy and all God's holy mountain that comes from the 65th chapter of the prophet's book. But the call to action starts in the part that we read this morning, chapter 58. Isaiah is holding up God's vision for what is to come while telling God's children to get on the stick and start doing now what will change the earth to be like that vision. He's clear that we will not get fully there until God brings us into the heaven and earth to come, but that doesn't mean that we are to stop striving for it, to just sit and wait. Looking forward tells us what we are to do. Listen to this call. Is not this the service I choose? to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke, share your bread with the hungry, give the homeless a home, cover the naked, do not hide from doing good, remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil. You shall raise up the foundations on which future generations shall stand. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of life. This is no call to complacency, to waiting for the sweet by and by. This call is to stand up and be counted, counted as one to be seen standing with the weak, the downtrodden, the helpless, to be heard speaking out in the councils of power and to be felt bearing God's love to all. Looking forward to heaven changes us. 
and so enables us to change the wrongs of the here and now. And that is why I bring it up this morning. This morning we, at our annual meeting, took a look back in order to assess and remember and rightly celebrate a truly good year of ministry together doing these very things that we are being called to do. But our scripture is reminding us to keep looking forward as well. With our eyes focused on what's coming, we will see what's needed from here now. Heaven, it's out of this world, <laughs> literally. It's more wondrous than any metaphor or beauty of creation can even hint at in our imagining but trying to imagine it. Seeing the vision of prophets and apostles will change us to change this world. See the vision of what is coming. Rejoice that it's coming for you. Have hope, act on it, take courage. Look forward. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.